Today, we have Spencer Hilligos, the founder of Madison Investing and a strong believer in real estate syndication. Spencer values spending time with his family and working on passionate projects, which inspired him to find another way to financially support his lifestyle from the busy 100-hour work weeks of the corporate world. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to meet up. I'm excited too. And you know what? We just want to get straight into it. Before Madison Investing and before real estate, before everything began, where did your journey begin? Yeah, I'm happy to share. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area, California. Um, it's where I am right now. Uh, my dad actually uh, was a real estate broker in the Bay Area when I was growing up. And so it's not really cool to tell your friends when you're in high school and junior high that you work at a real estate company. Um, at least I didn't think that it was because everyone out here, you know, when they're younger and they kind of want to get into projects and figure out side hustles, like it's almost always somehow technology related. Um, and so that that's uh, ultimately something I was kind of embarrassed to share with people when I was growing up um, until, you know, 13 years of a career that I kind of stumbled my way into uh, initially within fintech companies or finance tech companies. You know, that was something that uh, became what I did. You know, I ended up like moving away from real estate after my dad had me working open houses and stuff uh, growing up and doing jobs within his business. And then ultimately uh, just found myself like on this leadership track building, you know, unicorn uh, fintech companies worth over a billion dollars. And then uh, at the tail end of 2019, I ended up leaving all that behind. Um, it was about five months before COVID, uh, before pandemic kind of really circled the globe. And, you know, that was after three to four years of building our business that is now Madison Investing um, on nights and weekends. I am more of an early bird. So maybe call that, you know, from the hours of four to 6 a.m., five days a week before I'd go into my day job and lead teams and grow teams and stuff. It was a lot of work. Uh, so, and then I let all that behind um, in the corporate world to kind of just run our run our business and help our investors. And so that's what we do now is, is we actually help um, investors, you know, invest passively within like real estate funds, you know, apartment buildings, self-storage facilities. Um, I skipped a few steps that are in that whole journey that were like really formative for me though. I just want to mention this briefly that like the, the path, if I could go back in time, you know, if I could go back and just give myself advice, I wish we had gone down this path earlier. And I think that the, I think I've got like three kind of key steps, um, both of which the first two we had kind of had to go through. I think a lot of people go through before they stumble into the one that we're on now, but we wanted to spend more time with loved ones. You know, I, I have two young kids. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, when I was working in tech, I was just, as they say, grinding it out. You know, I was grinding like 80 to hundred hours a week, like you mentioned earlier. And that was not sustainable, man. I mean, it's, it's not okay to, you know, go for a couple of weeks when our firstborn was like an infant and not see him because I was, you know, going in when it was dark outside and coming home when it was dark outside. And, uh, it was non-sustainable. And I was chasing that kind of Silicon Valley wealth plan, which is, you know, an unwritten way of saying, join an early stage company, hope to get a meaningful amount of equity. And it turns into the next Google or the next Uber. Uh, and, and maybe you get, you know, a, a nice big get out of jail free card for your financial sins along the way. And that's not what it works out for most people. And so I, I ultimately realized, you know what, I, I just have to figure out a different path for us to take away the risks associated with 
what happens if I, you know, God forbid, get hit by a bus or, or Jennifer, who has her own career, that's my wife and my co-founder for our company, you know, so all those things led us to this path of, let's go buy a rental. So we bought a rental locally, spent way too much money on it, and kind of learned the hard way that, you know, there's better places and ways to invest in rental real estate. We then went on to buy long distance real estate, like buy something we hadn't even seen. We never even saw properties and we were buying rentals that were in the Midwest far away from us because that was way more affordable than our pricing markets. Um, we went through all those stages and then eventually we got to the point where we were like, okay, we found our strategy. These are how we want to invest. We're going to use syndications, private real estate funds, all the rest. And so that was a long winded answer. That's probably more than you wanted, but uh, I wanted to again and give you the, the, the end to end. <laughs> So you mentioned how you wanted to start with, uh, if you could go back in time, you would have started with real estate syndication earlier. Um, but within your fintech uh, uh, career, what do you think you learned most that benefited you with your real estate uh, work? Gosh, I mean, the learnings are endless. I would say that there's a few things I would do differently. Um because I, I feel like I, I, it took me years to really learn them, but I got them very firmly from that experiences in the career. Uh, I think that anytime I join a company, you know, anytime anyone joins a company, you have this built-in network. It just comes along with it, like they're your coworkers. And some of those coworkers become friends. Some of those coworkers, you know, you don't really hang out with outside of the office. And some of them are just very professional and that's kind of how things are going to be. And maybe you don't hang out with them ever or talk to them ever again after that company. But frankly, I didn't get it. I didn't get it for years that that network is going to be the one that you will have potentially for the rest of your life. And that's number one for me as to what I got from that career and to take with me now is like, there's people that are uh, friends that are 20 year friends now from that career. I mean, that there are the first wave of our investors that we ended up working with for our business and has have helped us invest and go purchase apartment buildings and storage facilities and really were fundamental, you know, like, like really critical for us to launch our business at first. All those folks were uh, coming from my network that I got in those companies. And if I can go back in time, oh my gosh, I, I would, I would just lean into that so much harder because taking a long view and just, you know, thinking about the relationship and, and, and giving before taking and giving before expecting stuff from others that just it just never stops and if you if i could really go back in time I would, I would do that over again the other thing i would just say would be like i was not a guy that was deep into uh let's just say technical skill outside of when I, in high school and then early college i was in computer science stuff and then i ended up just wanting to have more fun in college you know i went to business and sociology and went to university of colorado where you definitely have a little bit of fun along the way um and I bring that up because I think I was never excited about finance. I was never thrilled about number crunching on business related things. However, I spent 13 years at companies that solved like accountant, accounting and payroll stuff. Like, like my first big company experience was that into it. They do a third of the country's, you know, taxes, tax returns. Um, I deliberately chose to go work on boring, but important stuff. And I think that that is something that really, really people should pause and reflect on. Like, where are you strong? And can you lean into stuff that is like a core strength and differentiator that you're good at naturally and get better at that? But also don't shy away from stuff that, you know, kind of puts you to sleep, but is really important. And like, find a way to get curious because I found a way to get curious about this stuff 
better believe the people that get curious about topics like taxes are the ones who end up understanding like the role that it plays in wealth building overall and overall success, you know? So the more you run away from those dry topics, the harder it's going to be when you finally come around to them. Yeah, I can clearly see how your experience in fintech definitely translated over to you wanting to and you able to excel in real estate because like you talked about, you were able to, you know, if you know taxes, it's so huge in real estate because there's a lot of tax loopholes, a lot of tax benefits that you can get away with in real estate, which is why it makes it somewhat of a better investment. But before we move on to your real estate side, I still want to stay on what your life was in fintech. So when you were in fintech and you worked 13 years, obviously there was probably some incentive for you to stay and probably was money and all those things. But what was the point where you realized, obviously you talked about your family life and everything, but what was that exact moment where you're like, I need to make the transition now because the money's not worth it. And I need to spend more time with my family. And when you made that transition, why did you end up shifting to real estate? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking that. Yeah. I think, um, there was a couple of really key moments and I think the, there was a, certainly a one when this is a couple of companies ago. Um, I won't mention the company, but like, I'll, I'll say that it was the earliest stage one that I had joined in like the most hardcore in terms of work culture. And I mean, not, ironically, like those are the ones that end up often doing really well is because you have to push really hard to go and grow a company that early stage. And I re distinctly remember not seeing my kid and this is when we only had one. He was an infant still for a period of two weeks. Uh, and that was a real example where it's like, I don't think I saw him for, you know, uh, for many days in a row. And it was specifically because uh, I was going home at very late and I was leaving very early. And that was a brutal period for, for, for me. And it was that moment where I was like, this is just not sustainable. You know, like that, that's not a win. If like the whole point behind all of this stuff for working is to basically make sure that you've got, um, you know, you, you've got financial fortitude to take care of your family, but you can't see your family, right? And so, so that had to be it. Uh, I, I would say that that would be that that moment when I was working for that startup, and it was like, you know, all hands on deck constantly. And I realized this has got to give. Something's got to give. So after that, you shifted to real estate with Madison Investing. So before we dive into real estate syndication, can you give a brief explanation about what Madison Investing is? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and I think uh, one thing, one question I didn't answer of yours that was that came up earlier on the last one too was like, how the heck did I get so interested in in real estate in the first place? You know, I, I think I was pretty, I was pretty turned off by real estate bluntly uh, when I was working in my dad's business, and I think that that's because I saw such a narrow, tiny lens, and it's it's the one that most people see real estate. You know, most people think house, okay. I, I can go get into real estate professionally to help people buy a house. That means I can be a real estate broker or a real estate agent. That is literally where the vast majority of human beings stop on their interpretation of how they can get involved with real estate, right? And that's fine. That was my lens. It took, I had to go through the meat grinder of like Silicon Valley and through this company called, uh, I just stumbled my way into a company called Lending Home when a mentor kind of guided me there. And, and he said, hey, there's a really good leadership job you can go take at this company. Um, I think you do a really good job there. So I joined that, this company and their customers were real estate investors. And so I got inside the guts of this company and I realized how successful the investors on the other side of that transaction were. And I was like, how do I, how are they doing that well? And it was like, this isn't rocket science. You know, this, this is relatively straightforward stuff. So um, it'd be great to kind of get, get connected with some of the things that these guys are doing. 
and I started devouring books. You know, I read 24 books uh, in a, you know, 18 month period and uh, listened to 400 podcasts, just like this one. Um, you know, it was obsession to a degree, right? And healthy, I like to think healthy obsession, but, but I think um, that's really what happened before I kind of got into the real estate stuff. So, you know, what Madison Investing does basically is, um, you know, it, it blossomed into this like investing group. Um, it's an, I think of it like an investing club. And so we help um, basically take out all the, the educational mystery and sourcing of, of great investment deals that uh, other people who are in a similar stage of life can go invest in, you know, so they can get passive income streams into their household. And so that's, that's kind of uh, what we do these days is help people go and find out there right now, there's like thousands of apartments, uh, big, big apartment buildings and storage facilities and all the stuff that some people find like really, really, really boring, but frankly is like how a, a lot of people end up becoming the wealthiest people in the world is, is because they own a piece or a very big piece or all of these big buildings that we walk around every day, like apartment complexes and stuff. So that's, um, that's what we help people do is realize like anyone can do this, assuming that they are at a certain stage, they have like, you know, financial means and, and they know how to partner with the right people that can find these types of deals. So, um, just to clarify, so do you help other investors invest in like big commercial units or do you invest in the units and then do they invest in like smaller units? Um, we do both. Um, and so, yeah, but we ourselves do, um, you know, it says as, as investors or limited partners ourselves. So we put our own money into a lot of deals every year. Um, we also help other people do the same as us, you know? And so I think that that's kind of a core part of what we do and why people like working with us is because we walk the walk, you know, um, and, and we, we do the same thing that we help other people accomplish. So typically who are the people that come when, you know, they hear Madison investing, are they typically people who aren't as educated and they want to use you to, you know, get the resources to be able to learn and invest in their properties? Or do you also get hired net worth people where you team up and you guys take on bigger projects and you're able to invest in other things? It kind of runs the gamut, you know, I, mean, I would say both, uh, you know, I, since I started in technology, I would say that like half of our investor base, they are folks that are in similar places. Like you have senior software engineers at Facebook, you have project managers at Google, you know, so you have folks that came from big tech and then you have everybody else. You have physicians, you have, you know, you know entrepreneurs, you have all, all these different folks from different walks of life. And they mostly for the, across the board, they're looking to stay passive. You know, they don't want to go become asset managers. They don't want to become um, hands-on. They don't want to go look for properties. They don't want to manage utilities. They don't want to manage construction projects. They don't want to do real estate. They do want to just grow their wealth and they want to get passive income streams into their house. Um, that's where their interest in this stuff stops. So it's our job to help take out all the, the de-risking and like basically source and find and vet like the ones that are that they consider to be safe enough to get into from their perspective because they don't have time you know like like they, they have time and, and they don't have time and they have expertise in their area but they don't have the expertise at the time specifically to go to go find the stuff that, that we help them find um, and participate in and i think that's really great that you're making real estate investing a lot more accessible to people who like you said might not have the time to do so because they might be busy professionals and might not allot the time to search out deals and all that kind of stuff. Um, so 
you talk about uh, real estate syndication as uh, like a major strategy that you use at, over at Madison Investing. So could you explain a little bit what real estate syndication is? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think uh, at a high level, it's actually super simple. It's, uh, you know, it can be distancing because it's just another new term for a lot of folks. But frankly, all it really means is you're going to go buy something big that you couldn't buy by yourself. And so you need, other, you need a lot of people to pool together and buy it together. That's really all it means. And, you know, example would be if you want to go buy a, uh, an apartment building and that apartment building costs, you know, $20 million, it sounds completely unreasonable for most people to ever plan to buy that building. And, and so therefore, if you have an army, a little army of people, um, you know, and all those people are willing to, you know, write a check for, you know, smaller component parts of that, whether it's like $25,000 or $50,000, et cetera, some, sometimes depending on the deal, all those are different. Um, then everyone can come together and still owning a piece of something big is way better than not owning it at all yeah. And so I think that, that that's one of those key lessons that I think a lot of people, unfortunately, will never get past in their minds um, is like, oh, but I want that thing to be mine and only mine. And I'm like, well, good on you. You know, I, I, I wish you all the best of luck to go buy that $20 million building all by yourself. And if you get there, I will celebrate your success. Most of us are not going to do that by ourselves. Therefore, yeah, I, I'm still a fan of, of it takes it takes a team, a team effort to, to go and do these things. And, and if you ask anyone who's like really successful in the world, and that's like a key lesson, I would say that a lot of folks uh, that, that evade a lot of folks throughout their life is like, um, if someone wants to grow their wealth, I have found it very helpful to follow the advice of people who have more of it than me. And that is something I think more people would take, would, would, would be wise to take heed to, you know, be careful where you get your advice. Um, because, uh, if there's a person who's preaching at you about how to go do something specific about their wealth building and you have more, you might want to reconsider that. <laughs> For sure. I mean, one other quote that I heard is that you always want to take advice from someone who you want to be, not someone who's like someone who you don't want to be, right? Like you always shoot up for the people who you aspire to be and you follow the mistakes and you learn what they've learned through. And then I think that's exactly what you're talking about. So Back to real estate, I got two questions on like real estate syndication. So first, when you like have investors come in and like pool their money, right? What's like the average rate of return that these investors get? Because to me, this seems like if I'm an investor, right? Like if I'm an investor, I just pull my money in. A lot of other people do the heavy lifting of like finding the property, all those things. And then I end up just getting like the rewards, right? So what's like the rate of return? And then my second question is, is there like a minimum of how much you have to put in or can anyone really step into this and take advantage of real estate syndication? Yeah, so two, two thoughts on that one. Um, I, I unfortunately can't really go into the, the, the rates of return stuff just because I'm one of the few in the proud folks who's actually registered with uh, the SEC and FINRA. So that's kind of a big no-no. Um, I just can't really talk about rates of return because um, it's considered advertising on deals. Uh, but I think in terms of just who's a good fit, you know, um, who's a good fit and for what type of structure, there's a bunch of different options, you know, um, and, and I think that the more folks are familiar these days, I think, with crowdfunding, you know, I think crowdfunding is very popular. And I think that it's also something that really helps level the playing field for access for a lot of people too. Um, you know, whether, you know, I don't want to give a bunch of free advertising for other, for other companies, but like you've got 
a bunch out there. You got, you know, high, uh, Fundrise, Cadre, you know, you got CrowdStreet and like a dozen others that, that are very well established. And some of these are much friendlier in terms of like allowing lower minimum amounts. So if people want to go in at lower minimum investment amounts, uh, and some of them will also not require uh, accreditation status, which is like a status that really scares off a lot of people and limits a lot of people from getting into it. It just means like you basically have to hit a certain income level and then, you, or you've got to hit a certain number of net worth. All that said, um, I think if people go out and they start researching this stuff, I would just encourage them to, to be like, be patient, be thorough. Just like look at it like a lifelong journey, frankly, because like there was a time when I was not accredited myself and I, I worked my way to get to the point where I was before I could then be eligible to invest in some of the other deals, but I wanted to, you know? And so I just wanted to share that for folks too, because I think you, you kind of hit on a really important part of our earlier, uh, which is, you know, all the time I'll talk to folks who, you know, they're wrestling with like, what is the strategy that they want to go for? You know, like, like, are they like, should I go uh, flip a house? You know, should, should I go buy a, like a distressed home or like a beat up looking house and fix it up? And, and cause if people want to, want to try to find maximum returns, that, that is absolutely something that people can go find. And typically like the way that that works at a high, very high light, like high level sounds really basic, but I think a lot of people don't get this. And I didn't used to get this years ago. It's like, the higher the return, the higher the risk profile. So inherently. And so like a great investor's job is to, is to seek out asymmetrical risk return. And that's a very, very technical sounding term. It's really not. All it means is assume that if you go get a savings account at a bank, that bank is going to have a really, really low interest rate. The reason it's so low, there's very low risk. They have, they're, they're backed by FDIC insurance. You put money in there, no one's sitting there worried about, oh, is that money going to go away? You go put money into an investment. If it has a really high return, like if a, flip, a flipper is going to go and say, I'm going to go get you know X percent return on my property, it's going to be way higher probably than some folks are going to see on something like a syndication. They're also going to work their ass off to get that. <laughs> so it really just comes down to um, that stage of life that stage of wealth for that person, which is why all day, every day on a forum, on bigger pockets, on you know discussions across the country, thousands of them, many happening right now, you're never gonna convince a new college grad who is building their very first capital base that it's a better return to go invest in a syndication because they, they might not be the right fit for stage for them yet. They have time. They don't have the capital, but they got time. They may not think they do, but they don't have kids. <laughs> so until that hits, eh, you know, they, they, they have time. Um, get over to the passive investing stuff. The passive investing stuff is a great fit oftentimes for folks who, are, who don't have that time, but they do have some capital. And so that's the kind of spectrum on the active passive where if people want to force the higher return scenarios for themselves, you know, they, they can go seek out something that actually is semi-passive or more um, or more active, like flipping, you know, or doing a, a house hack, you know, where you, you, you get a, a multi-unit, like a two, two unit duplex and you live in one, you rent the other. And now you've got a really favorable housing situation for yourself. If I could go back in time before I had kids or I was married, I would absolutely be doing that today. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think is really where people I would recommend that they start. 
um, if, if, if they're trying to wrestle with the strategy because everyone goes straight to the asset and they start saying, oh, rentals, I like single family homes. I'm going to do rentals. Be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just bypass the entire most important topic, which is pick a strategy that backs into your goal. <laughs> if your goal is to be passive, you probably don't want to go become a really active flipper. You know, it, it comes down to aligning those, those strategies to your goals. But that was a soapbox. So sorry for the long-winded diatribe. No, it's all good. I think it's really important, like you said, that not all strategies are going to be the same for everyone. It really depends on what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, and where you are right now. Like what stage you're at. Like you said, like a college kid is not going to want to have some long-term commercial real estate investment where he pulls money with a bunch of his friends. So obviously there are stages to that. But um, I wanted to go into depth with another one of, uh, with your answer there. So you said that like you wish you could have started earlier with real estate syndication. Um, how early do you think it is possible to start real estate syndication? I know it, like it would vary from person to person, but like about like how much experience would you need to get uh, to really get into this space? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think uh, it depends on what side you want to get into. You know, I, I think that uh, if someone wants to be passive as a, like a passive investor in these things, you do need a meaningful amount of, of capital, right? And by meaningful, it'd be very specific for folks. That's a very polished corporate way of basically saying you shouldn't be investing in my humble opinion. This is going to be, this might rile up a lot of people out there in that world. And that is absolutely fine with my professional opinion. People should not be investing in syndications if it's their last $50,000, period. <laughs> so that, I think that makes that clear. I think for, for people who want to be active, I think the barrier is just the hustle and the willingness to go and learn. And like most things in life, like it doesn't take anything like a college degree to go and or, or a high competitive corporate top four accounting firm or like major consulting firm background to go and work at a a firm, like at a small commercial real estate, multifamily apartment syndicator firm, for example, that's already out there. So I, I mean, I recently had a conversation with someone who is incredibly successful and he has been pivoting over from single family rentals over to being, he wants to be a syndicator, like a multifamily syndicator where like he is in charge, he's building his portfolio of apartment buildings. And my advice I gave to him in his circumstances, I was like, this guy already had like a decade of financial background, corporate experience. He is a badass, but he was really insecure about like, can he go out and do his own firm? And I was like, man, you absolutely can. But for people who are really early in that journey, if they are like, just, you know, just around like, you know, maybe early mid twenties, like, or in their, you know, after college and kind of like trying to feel out what career step is next, there's nothing stopping anyone from going up and just saying, I will work incredibly hard. You know, if I'm approaching a small multifamily firm, just like, let, let me join and I will take on this type of role or this type of role. And I will work really hard for you guys and learn. And, um, in that regard, like, it's not going to be your company, but you haven't earned it to be yet, you know? So it, 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 I think anyone can start you, but you have to go in and just be willing to humble yourself, um, and, and work for it. So it, it, it doesn't take anything more, um, sophisticated than that. So I think with the question that I have, you kind of answered it within like different pieces. So I kind of want everything to be pulled in together. So obviously when you have like passive investing and active investing, at least when you apply to real estate, you can invest passively where you don't have to put much time. And obviously you're going to have like lower risk, lower reward. 
but it's still like, you know, investments is good to always have investments, but you can also do active where I believe if you spend more time, you're going to get, as long as you spend time and you know what you're doing, you can get a higher return, well, obviously with the risk, but you make that calculated decision. So if I'm a college student where I'm intending to go into, I want to go into corporate, let's just say I want to go to corporate, I want to do finance, I want to do consulting, but I also want to get into real estate. Do you believe that active investing is more of a job where you can't really do it simultaneously if you're pursuing something else as your main thing? Or can you also do active investing as like, you know, on the side instead of just doing passive investing? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I think the short answer would be yes, you absolutely can. Um, you absolutely can. It, it really comes down to any person can take on, uh, this is just my personal belief, obviously, I think anyone can take on as much work as they can go and take on wealth. You know, for me, I knew that I could do 10 hours was what I audited my calendar. I'm just that nerdy. You know, I like when I was working full time still, I had two kids and I was like, I have 10 hours I can go and devote to my side hustle where I actually am like mentally, physically alert enough to do something of value. Um, that's going to be way lower than a lot of people can do. Cause that assumed I was going into work like 10 to 12 hours a day, spending time with my kids and my wife. Um, most people will have, if someone has 20 to 40 hours and physical energy to go and devote time to this stuff, you absolutely can go and do active real estate. You know, I mean, even the teams that I was managing at my last company in the W2 world, uh, when I was working full-time, I was, I had people that worked for me on the teams that I worked for and, and, I would sit there in conversations with them. And this is about the day job we were both sitting at. And I was just, I enjoyed learning from them and hearing their stories because they would, they were flippers on the weekend and they would come in, you know, scrapes on their hands, you know, and just like, tell me these stories about, you know, oh my gosh, I spent me and my girlfriend spent all weekend, like scraping this popcorn ceiling off of this one building that we actually are flipping right now. So it's absolutely possible. Um, is, is the short answer. And it just comes down to, is someone willing to go and do it well and just don't treat it like a hobby? I mean, like, like I, I think that, that, that that's kind of a key thing too, is um, a lot of folks are kind of looking for real estate to be as simple as going and investing in an ETF or an index fund. And it's like, well, it's going to perform the way you, you, you it's going to perform as well as you put into it if it's active. You know, it, it's if you go and you treat it like it's going to be some kind of quick turnkey thing, um, it's probably not going to get the outcome you want, um, especially if you're going to be borrowing money from other people to go do it. <laughs> so, which, which is pretty common, you know, which is a good idea using leverage and using debt, like taking a loan out to go do a flip. Great idea, but you got to have a plan. Um, so that's, yeah, that was a long minute answer to your question. Yeah. And I think that's really true when you really, I feel like setting goals, especially with something like real estate, where it's a really long journey is really critical because then you might not have to have your whole journey planned out, but having like those minor steps where you can build up to like what kind of strategies you have will really, really help new investors. Um, so as we, as we're wrapping up, uh, I want to ask you like in general with real estate uh, investing, how can high schoolers or college students uh, expose themselves to real estate investing in general? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, find a part of it that you actually find interesting you know like, like there that is as corny and simple as that sounds i would go on biggerpockets.com 
it's a really silly sounding website name. Um, the first time I heard that, I was like, what are you sending me to, man? I had a friend tell me that. Um, you know, flash forward many years later, and that same friend runs his own company, and so do I. So I'm like, okay, maybe that name of that website isn't so silly. Um, but yeah, biggerpockets.com. It's just it's the social networking website for real estate uh, investors, and it's most heavily tailored, I would say, for folks who want to go active more than anything else. I mean, but you will find stuff on there for the whole spectrum, um, and so that is a really quite outstanding place for people to start. And if they also have someone in their life, I mean, that I, I don't want to this might totally undercut the advice I'm trying to give here, but I'll just say, um, man, oh man, if I could go back and ask certain questions of my own parents and family um, it, it, and try to try to look past that lens of, of like the, the general, I'm not saying everyone has to see their parents and their family the same way I do, but most people think that they know a lot more than their family and their parents, right? And, and so I think that uh, as it turns out, you probably don't. They might know a few things. Doesn't mean you have to listen to all of it, but I would say it's worth asking the people in their life and then just taking notes and paying attention and being prepared to ask questions write down the questions that you actually want to get answers to you know that you don't know the answers to and be comfortable knowing it's okay you don't know it and then ask those people and and follow up um it's not just about the numbers but you do have to go understand the numbers and what by the numbers what i mean is like you need to know how to run analysis from the financials for these things and all that to say though it's not just crunching the numbers um you also have to put the work in and like go get interested in kind of houses, neighborhoods, you know, like what's, what's a good market, what's a bad market. And I think that biggerpockets.com is a great way to do that. And there's just a ton of books. So there's, there's great podcasts just like this one, you know, there's audio books, there's like regular soft copy, hard copy books, just finding a reason to get interested because everyone's going to have a different reason. I don't like doing underwriting or like deal analysis, I still had to go lean in hard to learn that stuff because you can't get around it. Some people love doing that, but you still have to kind of know enough about all the different aspects of it to go and begin. Yeah, the last part you talked about where once you start getting interested in, there's so many avenues that you could take, resources as podcasts, books, everything is out there, bigger pockets for you to learn real estate. It's all on the tip of your hands. You just need to get interested and then you can run with it. So right. Spencer, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have an interview with us. It was amazing to learn about your insight on real estate. And I think it helps, you know, the younger generation, young adults to even get started and see that it's possible to actively manage, you know, actively or passively manage real estate, no matter what in your life. And you can fit it in as long as you just attempt to. Mm -hmm.